This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Jose Arguelles. Jose is someone that I worked quite closely with back in the mid-1980s. We produced a 10-part radio interview series for a local Boulder County public radio station called KGNU. And I haven't been in touch with Jose for quite some time, for well over two decades. So I'm so happy to have this chance to speak with Jose on Insights at the Edge. Jose Arguelles is well known for his role in organizing the Harmonic Convergence event in 1987, as well as for his book, The Mayan Factor, Path Beyond Technology, published the same year. He's also the founder of the Planet Art Network and the Foundation for the Law of Time. In addition, he is a contributor to a recently published Sounds True anthology entitled The Mystery of 2012, predictions, prophecies, and possibilities. I spoke with Jose about the significance of the year 2012 in relation to the Mayan calendar. We talked about natural or lunar-based time and how he believes we have the opportunity now to enter a new era of advanced mental development in which telepathy will become our primary method of communication. Here's my conversation with Jose Arguelles. Jose, I I haven't talked to you in slightly over two decades. And what I'm curious about, just to begin, is here we are approaching 2012. You and I talked about 2012 back in a series that we recorded on Earth Shift in 1987. And what I'm curious about to begin is how your views of 2012 may have changed in the last two decades and where you are now in looking at 2012. Well, that's a, a provocative question. Uh, I don't know how, how much my views have changed or not changed. Uh, my, my perception has always been that 2012 is a major evolutionary shift point. I think that over the two decades that my, uh, through my own investigations, meditation, and research that I think I've refined my um, definition, perhaps, of that shift point uh, to, have, to, to, among other things, for instance, um, uh, having to do with the shift from the from the biosphere to the noosphere, to the, the uh, from one state of, of biological evolution to another one in which the uh, mind becomes the paramount factor in in our existence. Um, and I, I think in this way also a uh, further aspect perhaps is my perception that we are that the 2012 also has to do with a shift in uh, our timing frequency, the timing frequency of the human species, the timing frequency of the planet, and uh, a realignment of our perception of time with the uh, universal uh, timing factor, which is actually the factor of synchronization or synchronicity. I think that, that those... Two points, the noosphere transition and the uh, 
shifting of timing frequencies might be the major ways in which I have amplified my view, which is still that we are, um, we are approaching a, a major impending shift in consciousness and, and a shift in the quality and state of our very being. Well, let's go into both of these points in a little more detail, because I'm not clear that I'm following you actually on either of them. So let's start with this uh, transformation from the biosphere to the noosphere. Can, can you go into more detail and especially what you mean by the noosphere? The, um, the biosphere, as we know, the biosphere defines the sphere of life and its support system uh, on our planet. This is the biosphere is uh, was a term that was coined, well, actually back in the 19th century, but the Russian scientist Vladimir Vernadsky was a key proponent, um, identifying all the different cycles and factors of the biosphere. What we often refer to very generally as the environment is actually more technically, specifically, and scientifically the biosphere. Now, according to um, Vladimir Vernadsky and also Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, um, the situation of the biosphere has been greatly impacted by the human species, and in particular by the human species' um, capacity to think and to apply its thought in the creation of machines, civilization, and so on. And in the perception of both Bernadsky and Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, that for the first time, uh, in history, the human species or a biological species is creating an event of geological importance, shifting the very geological makeup of our planet, and in so doing, anticipating uh, an evolutionary change. Now, we, we experience this impact um, as what we generally refer to as global climate change while we're talking right now, the uh, Copenhagen you know, conferences occurring, uh, t- uh, trying to cope or deal with that in some way or measure. Um, this climate change, in for, from the point of view of the biosphere, is the result of the impact of human thought upon the environment, human thought in the form of, of uh, machines and civilization. Further, this uh, this impact, what... what, what uh, uh, is what uh, Vernadsky defined the, this impact of, as being of the nature of creating a type of geochemical combustion, the heating up of the earth, and in this process accelerating a state of, of molecular change, chemical change, that would be anticipating the transition to a new state. Now, both Vernadsky and Pierre Teilhard de Chardin were in Paris in 1926, along with a a little-known French philosopher, Jules Lavoie, who was a student of Henri Bergson, and they were all uh, together trying to determine uh, the name and definition of the new state, of uh, the new evolutionary state that would follow the biosphere, and they determined that uh, this new state would be the noosphere. The noosphere literally means the mental sphere of the earth, uh, representing uh, as, as the Chardin put it, uh, a, a, a discontinuous envelope that penetrates the biosphere and covers the earth. They saw that at one point when, when the, uh, a critical stage was reached, when the biosphere would, have, would, would be critically impacted by the 
effective human thought that there would be a shift, an evolutionary shift to the noosphere. Um, while Vernadsky emphasized that this was going to be due to the release of free energy, toxic, toxic waste, pollution, and so on, um, Teilhard de Chardin emphasized that this would come about through uh, the creation of in increasingly intricate networks of human intelligence, what we might today call the cybersphere. So we have at this point the two components that both Deschardins and Vernadsky felt were necessary to create this critical moment that we pass into the noosphere. One, we have the accelerating global climate change, and on the other hand, we have the creation of a virtual noosphere in, in what we call the cybersphere, allowing us to be having this communication, for instance. They saw that there would be this moment when there would be some type of quantum shift and then we would enter into the noosphere where, where, we, would, where we would experience a, a different state of consciousness. Um, from all the work that I was doing and with the study of the Mayan calendar and so on and the 2012 day, I, I perceived uh, maybe 10 years or so ago that, that, uh, that this shift point was precisely what was being pinpointed by the Mayan calendar date of uh, December 21st, 2012. Okay, so not to be too uh, slow here, but I'm still not quite understanding what it means to shift into the noosphere. I mean, I, I followed you in terms of the human impact on the biosphere and climate change, and I, I'm with you in terms of the cyberspace phenomenon and, and communication, but what does it mean that we're shifting into a noosphere? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. There's of course a lot of discussion about that, um, and there are a lot of people uh, who have started to pay attention to that. And what that seems to refer to is it's, what we're talking about is is something that, in some ways, can hardly be talked about because it's like we're talking about when, um, for instance, water comes to boil and it, and then it goes from a state of being a liquid to a state of being a gas. We're talking about a type of of shift um, of that of that nature where we actually experience an alteration of our consciousness, and that's and that this is uh, something that I feel is anticipated by a critical mass coming to uh, into processes of synchronized um, uh, meditation, say and that through that synchronized meditation that creates a field which, we, which then comes to approach the nature of telepathy. For instance, today in the cybersphere we have virtually instantaneous communication um, that, can take, that can occur multiply or however uh, around the world. Um, this, is, this is what I refer to as virtual telepathy. In the noosphere we will be in a state of telepathy where uh, where we will be able to communicate telepathically um, um, at will with different people around the planet. And I think maybe the, that issue or that point of telepathy is the best way of, of communicating um, what the shift to the noosphere will be. Well, of course, there are individuals who are quite telepathic and already are, are living in that kind of space. But yes. w what you're saying is that at some point in time that you've identified as 2012, 
collectively we will all be more telepathic? Yeah, exactly. We'll move into a phase. I feel first there will be a critical mass who attains this, uh, and then very quickly after that, that, uh, that, that we will move into a state where we will all become telepathic. In other words, if we look at the, the uh, different species of life, different animals, not even insects, um, we, we observe one thing is that they, they all are in some form of instinctual telepathic communication with each other. They don't use language, they don't use words like we do, but yet they are able to inform each other and to communicate by some type of resonant frequencies or telepathic signals uh, and, and so uh, maintain their forms of community. Um, the human species which we know, as you said, there are people who are telepathic, there are paranormal people or people with paranormal gifts and so on. But by and large, the human species has, uh, has, uh, has shut itself off to its innate telepathic or paranormal capacities by an over-reliance on uh, artificial contrivances and, uh, and uh, types of technology that it has created. Uh, in other words, the technology takes the place of instinct, but in so doing, it tends to shut off the capacity for um, telepathic communication. Is there a, a litmus test? Now we've entered the noosphere. Well, we'll all know it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, okay. <laughs> fair enough. So we'll, we'll move to your uh, second point that you highlighted in terms of coming into greater relief with your work around 2012, what you called the, the timing frequency. Can you uh, help me understand that? Yes. Um, from the work that I had done with the, with, the, with the Mayan calendar, and particularly in the Mayan factor, from that, my, my uh, investigations uh, took me to focus, first of all, on the mathematical structures underlying what's called the Mayan calendar. And I started to experiment in living the different cycles, like the 13-day cycles and the 20-day cycles and the 52 and so on, and I, just to see what, what kind of difference there might be. Well, I began to perceive one thing, and that was that to live by these types of cycles in this way is obviously to put yourself at variance with living according to the clock and in the, and, uh, in the according to the timing standard that, that most of humanity follows today, which is the Gregorian calendar. I was in uh, Geneva, uh, Switzerland, in, uh, exactly 20 years ago, on the day, it's December 10th where you are, uh, 20 years to the day that I was in the um, what's called the Museum of, of Mechanical Time in Geneva, Switzerland. And after a couple of hours, I realized that what the perception of time, which was taken for granted as being time in that museum, was actually just a perception of mechanical, artificial time. Everything was based on 12, and I noted that in the Mayan calendar, everything was based on 13. From this, I had a big aha moment, and I saw that in a flash, I saw that the, that, that the human species for the last 400 years have been living on this mechanical artificial time and as a result of it had been able to create this mechanical artificial civilization a mechanical artificial technosphere which which actually keeps accelerating its speed it keeps accelerating in time and i saw like this how, how it was like a this vast 
intricate vehicle that was careening at an ever faster speed out of control, deviating ever farther and farther and farther from nature, and not realizing that to sustain itself it had to consume all the resources of the world and was actually in the process of destroying its, the props. I saw humanity like being uh, a man on a, tr on a tree limb sawing the limb that it was sitting on. Yeah. And all of this was due to, to having immersed itself in an artificial time, which I saw as a timing frequency 1260, uh, irregular artificial 12-month calendar and mechanical 60-minute hour. It's interesting that the Gregorian calendar was, was uh, uh, finally reformed. That reformation took place in 1582, and within 30 years after a 1,000 years of, of refinement, the mechanical clock came into existence. And these two, these two devices, these two timing programs, the macro program of the 12-month calendar and the micro program of the 60-minute hour combined to create an unconscious mental frequency, which was perfected precisely at 1618, the beginning of the final Bakhtun cycle of the Mayan calendar. And that whole 13th Bakhtun from 1618 to 2012 is the, is the full uh, balloon of artificial time. And I saw that this, that this it's this artificial time, everyone's locked into it. The philosophy is time is money, and that's what they're, they're having so much problem with at Copenhagen. <laughs> because no one wants to give up. No one wants to give up their money. Everyone yeah. wants their money. No one wants to give up their machines. Yeah. And so, and not, and not realizing that there that that's just an obsession that's been driven by this artificial timing frequency. I saw simultaneously that what the Mayans knew was that there's a natural timing frequency, which I referred to as the 1320 timing frequency. It's a mathematical ratio constant. That people say, well, how can you describe the 1320 so I can understand it? Well, we, we are 1320. We have 13 major articulations, our two ankles, two knees, two hips, two wrists, two elbows, two shoulders, and our neck. And we have 20 fingers and toes. So we're the living incarnation of the 1320 timing frequency that way. We, we, are, we have all the, the equipment that we need in our, in our psychobiological makeup. But it's this deviation from, into, from the natural timing frequency. All the rest of the biosphere operates in the natural time. Um, only the human species deviates from the natural time and functions very, very stubbornly according to its own timing frequency, and because of this, is, is, has been destroying and devouring the resources, destroying the biosphere, and creating the type of crisis that it's in at this very moment. So the change in timing frequencies is that the natural time of 1320 frequency, which is the universal um, frequency of synchronization. See, everything in the universe is absolutely synchronized with itself. The whole, the whole order of reality, which I define as the synchronic order. Uh, but, the, but the human species, because it's operating in artificial mechanistic time, doesn't doesn't participate in that. Every so often we, we have experiences of synchronicity. That's the 1320 time coming into our, into our 1260 perceptual field. Uh, and, and, but the synchronicity is actually the, the, the very nature of the universe is synchronicity. So when we get to 2012, we're also talking about this 
like the bursting of this bubble of artificial time that, that, that we will not be able to sustain any longer this artificial civilization in this way this bubble will burst and we will be we'll, we'll be thrown again as it were into the 1320 timing frequency every part of this consciousness shift is returning to this frequency the natural universal frequency of synchronization Okay, just to ask a couple questions here. First, I'm going to need a little bit of a history lesson. So what happened 400 years ago that we entered artificial time? How did we keep track previously of time? Oh, well, previously we kept track by the moon. We tra- kept track in the Western civilization with the Julian calendar, but most everywhere else in the world, we're all following lunar calendars. The Hebrews followed the lunar calendar. The Muslims had their lunar calendar. The Chinese, the Japanese, just about everybody was following a lunar calendar, which is living on natural cycles. That has its own sets of problems, too, but it's definitely living by the natural cycle. The only major calendar that was not like that was the Julian. Well, in 1582, when, well, let's go back a few steps. In 1519 and following, when Mexico and the Mayan civilization was conquered by the Spaniards, um, the certain bishop, Delanda, who was there in Yucatan, noticed that the Mayans had a very, very different kind of calendar. He burnt all the Mayan books, except for a few, the, a few scraps of information he kept with them. He went back after the burning of the books in 1562 to, he was called back by the Pope uh, and, and, and spent 10 years there before him being sent back to Yucatan to become the bishop there. Well, when he was there, he gave them the information that the Mayan calendar was more accurate than the Julian calendar, that, they, that the Julian calendar was 10 days off from the celebration of equinox and so on and so forth. And Pope Gregory at that point, beginning in 1572, sent Bishop Delanda back, called in his astronomers, said we have to refine the Julian calendar, got, got that refine or refine the leap year days and, and their, their occurrences and so on. And 1582 instituted the, the Gregorian calendar reform. Well, at that point in time, historically, Tammy, the Europeans had circumnavigated the globe and basically had said, this earth is our pearl. <laughs> so they were able to impose the calendar on all the conquered people especially the aboriginal peoples of the of north and south america and of then later on of polynesia and of australia and uh so that by uh, so when 1618 occurred the clock was perfected the calendar had been imposed on most of the world the europeans had the world so there was this kind of little click that occurred in the european consciousness um, when when the, 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 these two timing devices came together to create this unconscious frequency. Immediately after that, we have Galileo. We have what's called the scientific revolution, which is actually the materialist scientific revolution. We have, shortly after that, then Newton and the, and, and the discovery of the law of gravity. We have, after that, the, the, the uh, creation of stock markets. <laughs> In, in Holland to create the philosophy of time is money and beginning then with all these within a hundred years in the early 18th century we have what's called the industrial revolution which is the application of this principle of, of time as money as well as this principle of 
the artificial time and the creation of, of a society, that, of an imperialist society that basically has world dominance, um, to, to, to be dominated by these two timing devices, a calendar as a social programming device. So it keeps a society, any society together is a calendar that it uses. So that by the, by the uh, end of the 19th century, virtually every country in the world was, was en enslaved by this calendar. Everyone was using the clock, everyone taking, was building railroads. Like you can look at an example like Japan in 1873 when the Japanese emperor decided oh we better if we're going to step with the world we have to we have to make we have to make this change in 1873 january 1st he adopted the, the calendar instituted the clock instituted parliament and bingo they were they were they went immediately from the middle ages to modern industrial world and it was because they, they adopted they adopted that calendar and put everything into that system see mm -hmm. it's a, a calendar the programming device it's a system. I ask people to think if they can imagine a world without February or July or September. Mm -hmm. People are you know, so deeply in that program. It's really hard to think of it other than that. Well, yeah, I really appreciate what you're saying, Jose. But here's my big question. I remember recently when I was preparing for this conversation and I was looking at your website on the law of time and it said, you know, the most practical application is if we switch to a 13-moon, 28-day calendar, the most practical application of these ideas. And I thought, well, wait a second. I mean, I'm having meetings with all kinds of people who aren't switching to, you know, a 13-moon, 28-day calendar. I'm, I, I'm not, like, you know, living by myself in the woods. I'm running a business. How can this be considered practical? Well, listen, there's probably millions of people who are using the 13-moon calendar today, and many of them are, are running their own businesses. Um, Eastman Kodak, uh, they, they were, they've been running on a 13-moon calendar for years. They find it's a much better way to do accounting. It's just a matter that then until you, the, the complete shift happens, then you're just living on several timing systems. Uh -huh. So you're, what you're saying is that I could live on simultaneous timing systems. Oh, yeah, of course. The, the, listen, the Mayans at their peak, they were living with 17 calendars. Wow. Okay? It's just a matter of how much synchronicity do you want to experience. Okay, so let's pretend that I wanted to live on... I'm just going to keep it simple with two calendar mm -hmm. systems because, you know, my, I already feel kind of... It's hard for me to schedule and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, what do I do with the 13-moon, 28-day calendar? How do I relate to that? Okay. So, like, for instance, today... Um, well, I'll take where you are. Today, for you, it's the 26th day of the overtone moon, of the fifth moon. What you do, you start, you, you basic, you create for your basic program, you follow the 13 moon calendar. It starts, it's programmed to, to begin July 26th, which is the heliacal rising of Sirius. So it's a, it's a galactically oriented calendar, and then but you'll you'll see okay then you'll see that the, that there's a whole a whole sequence of harmonic patterns that you begin to live by, and these harmonic patterns are what tune you into the synchronicity. Secondarily, you can see okay overtone moon 26 that's December 10th, and then you can go do your business stuff. So it's like you're creating, you're, you're saying, okay, right now, as long as this world exists like this, I got my, the, the Gregorian calendar is my business calendar. 
but the third team moon calendar is how I begin to experience the synchronicities and expand the co- my own cosmic nature. It also makes the, Gregor- the patterns of the Gregorian calendar part of the larger pattern of synchronicity. So I'm, I'm not quite clear how following a different calendar opens me up to synchronicity. Well, I'll tell you something. You have to, you know, if, if you've never had a, a, a taste of an apple before, you have to take a bite of the apple to really understand it. Yeah. Okay? Fair enough. Um, you have to, you know, you have to, to, to um, uh, try it. <laughs> you have to test it yourself. Yeah. Okay, and then you will see that you are beginning to live, you actually are beginning to live different patterns, but you have to see that yourself, and when you begin to live the different patterns, you will see that you are actually increasing your synchronicity and your experience of synchronicity, and that is actually an experience of expanding your consciousness. Yeah, makes sense to me. You mentioned that nature itself is working on a 1320 calendar, that nature itself is in this synchronic order. And I, I wasn't 100% clear about that. How, how is nature working on, you know? I would think that nature doesn't have a calendar. Nature oh, doesn't. No, well, nature, nature, every, every nature does have a calendar. Nature has a, a, a calendar that operates through the synchronizations of natural moments, like like the, the, the moon is a natural calendar, for instance. We also uh, know that, like, uh, you know, birds, they, the birds, they, you know, at, at the sun's going down, they have a big chirping song fest, and then, then they go to sleep, and then the first light of day comes, and then they're up. So they're, they're, they're up, that's that, the natural calendar, that's all, those are all patterns of synchronization. And so, so every, everything is operating with, with these patterns of synchronization in nature. Every, every creature knows where to go, what to do, and that's because they're, they are in, they're synchronized with themselves. They're synchronized with the flow of time. Time is of the mind. Time is the fourth dimension. It's invisible. You can't touch it. But it organizes absolutely everything. Everything in nature is organized by time to be synchronized with itself, to be synchronized with its environment, to um, establish the large harmonic pattern of what we call the universe. And that's that, that all of that is organized according to a universal constant, which the minds discovered, which is a 1320 mathematical ratio, and that everything in the universe is synchronized. You don't see two moons. <laughs> you see one moon, it's synchronized with your perceptions. Everything is synchronized. And there's the, the, uh, we have the idea that time is linear or that time is how many seconds you have left to, to do this or that or how many minutes or how many hours you have to do this before you get paid. But uh, the actual nature of time is time is the universal factor of synchronization. This is the actual nature of time throughout, throughout the universe. And our philosophy in the, in the present civilization is time is money. Everything is prorated according to how much money it costs in a certain amount of time or how much you can work you can do to get it paid for a certain amount of time. But that's, that's all just artificial stuff. 
the actual nature of time is time is, is factor of synchronization. Time is harmony. The harmony of nature is a function of time. That's why we say, no, time isn't money. Time is art. You've never seen an ugly sunset. Time is art. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I want to, in listening to you, I'm motivated to explore this synchronic order and the 13 moon calendar but I don't I'm still I'm still not clear how I would actually experience this in my own life how I would enter this do you know what I mean can you help me well like I said if you if you really were serious about this then then you would get get uh, get a 13 moon calendar locate yourself where you are and then begin to begin to follow it and begin to follow the patterns. And as I said, time is a matter of the mind, okay? So once you begin to enter uh, following the 13-moon calendar, you're placing yourself in synchronization with different cycles, with different patterns that just are not possible in the time that, that you're doing your business in. Right. Okay. So now in 2012, Jose, what will happen to our calendar system what's your view my view is that like by the end of 2012 people will abandon the present calendar system and that uh, you know because there's going to be a lot of different things happening between now and 2012 and as, as we know that the, the pace of things is accelerating very rapidly uh, there's going to we're going to be experiencing um, further social upheaval and social breakdown we're going to be experiencing um, much further natural upheaval and, and some catastrophic types of events, uh, we will be coming to a point where uh, I believe by 2012 that we're actually going to be experiencing some type of uh, unprecedented type of spiritual awakening by people who begin to perceive more and more that um, what, what has been working really isn't working anymore, that this artificial world is not is not going to be solving the problems that we need to be um, moving in some rat in some other radically different kind of direction, and really taking the responsibility for realigning ourselves with the natural order, because it's our it's because we have rejected our our role in the natural order and and put ourselves above it or imposed our mechanical artificial methods and ways on this or extracted everything we could from it just so we could make money because of that that we've come to this totally totally degraded situation that we're experiencing on this planet people more and more people will begin to wake up and see that and realize that no matter what it is that's going on that we have to realign ourselves with nature and this realignment with nature is what will dispose people more and more to to finding a more natural pattern or way of aligning themselves in nature and in time and for that reason we'll we'll begin to understand that that a new way or a new pattern of time has to be Adopter created uh, to to create a, a new a new way or uh, a new pattern of life on this planet. We're talking about a major change in the pattern of living. Well, well, in terms of the litmus test of did the predictions about 2012 actually happen? You know, the first point you made that we're moving into a noosphere, and I asked, well, how will we know if this shift has happened? You said we'll know it, so that there wasn't really a, a, a really clear kind of external test to apply but when it comes to what calendar are we using 
as a collective group of people come 2013, 2014, it seems like that will be something that we'll be able to just look around and see. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, we'll, and, and uh, uh, the whole purpose of uh, developing the 13-moon calendar uh, program, the process that I've been involved in for the last 20 years, um, when I, like when I was in the Museum of Time in Geneva, I had this aha. I immediately saw that the first thing that had to do is we had to replace the Gregorian calendar with a 13-moon, 28-day calendar. I just, I just saw that. After a while, I, and I, I began to develop what that meant and understand the mathematical laws behind it and so on. There's a lot of mathematics behind all this. Um, and then I, I saw that like I, I should begin to promote this 13-moon calendar, and, and I saw that that was part of my, part of my responsibility. And I, it was a pretty tremendous type of thing because I thought, wow, that's incredible. How, how can I do this? I'm supposed to overthrow the Gregorian calendar or tell people their, their calendar's wrong or something. So I went around the world several times easily you know, with this, with this message that so we're living in the wrong time. We have to change time. We have to get in the right time. I've been uh, everywhere from, from Japan and Russia and India and everywhere with, with this particular particular message. I later then started looking at the history of calendar reform and saw that there was a huge calendar reform movement in the late 1920s and 1930s spearheaded by the International Chamber of Commerce, and they were promoting a 13-moon, 28-day calendar back then. The League of Nations was ready to go for it, but it was stopped by, by the Vatican, who, of course, um, had the largest vested interest in the, in the Gregorian calendar. Pope Gregory instituted it. I went to the Vatican to talk to them about this, and all they did was pass the buck and said, well, we don't have the power we used to have, ha-ha, <laughs> and uh, you better go to the United Nations. So I went to the United Nations, too. I, you know, I, they all know about it. They, they, they've all seen it. I've gotten, you know, commendations from Kofi Annan and, and from the head of UNESCO, and everybody's sitting on, on, the, on the edge. No one wants to make the first move. So I don't care because, like, people, will, people have been picking up the banner and doing this, and, and we'll get to that point. As I said in 2012, and people say, well, you know, if we're going to have a better way, we have to change the time. You can't change the time. You can't have peace if you're still in the old time. It's just really simple. You know, listening to you, I, I totally respect the vision that you're coming from and even think you're right, but the rationalist in me just thinks that'll never happen. Yeah, well, all the rationalists say that. <laughs> I've heard I've, I'm I've sure. more than my share of rationalists. I'm sure you have, and I'm, and I'm not trying to irritate you, but I'm curious, what do you say to that? Well, hey, you're entitled to your opinion, but if I listen to you, then... and, and and every visionary that ever existed would listen to every rationalist that ever existed, the world never would have made any progress at all. Well, of course, that's true. And I'm enjoying talking to you, so I want to ask you another question, which sure. is, I remember back when we talked in 1987, part of the promise of 2012 included the Earth entering some kind of galactic federation, and I remember you used that term, you know, the Galactic Federation. Mm -hmm. And what I thought that meant 
was, well, okay, in 2012, there's finally going to be some kind of acceptance uh, in the newspapers or somehow credible acceptance of extraterrestrial life. Very interesting. And maybe I misinterpreted what you were saying, but I'm just curious, do you still have this idea that we're going to enter, quote-unquote, a galactic federation? And what does that mean? Uh, yeah, that's very, very, still much, pretty much a part of the script um, that we're working with, because first of all, yes, we do believe and know that there is other intelligence in the universe besides ours. We also know that there is higher intelligence than ours in the universe. The reason why what all of our mystics and great yogis and saints and everything throughout history, like Milarepa, for instance, or Sri Aurobindo, they've all said, no, what, what I have attained is what the whole human race is supposed to attain. We're supposed to go to a, a superhuman state. Okay. Well, in the universe, beings or intelligence that hasn't attained this superhuman state and, and um, some of this intelligence that's monitoring affairs on our planet we refer to as the Galactic Federation. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting that, uh, that you bring that up because I've been following a uh, process in very recent days uh, brought to my attention. We have, we have one website which, which is called the Noosphere Forum, www.noosphereforum.org. Um, and uh, our, our website manager there is a, a young Serbian scientist named Boris uh, Petrovich, and he's been following a lot of things, I get a lot of information. He brought to my attention a BBC news story from uh, last week or so. Um, as a Bulgarian scientist say aliens already exist on Earth. So I started to pursue this. It was an interesting story. Um, uh, there's a man named Dr. Uh, Lachesa Filipov, who's the head of the Space Research Institute of the Bulgarian Academy of Sciences. And he apparently had had a news conference reporting some of the research that they had been doing. Apparently one of the things that came out was that um, the belief that there are actually um, what we call aliens or extraterrestrials already among us. But the, the main thrust of his research and his investigations had been to establish telepathic communication with extraterrestrial intelligence. Carl Sagan and his group back in the 60s and 70s had the SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Project, and then there also the SETI, C-E-T-I, Communication with Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Well, Dr. Filipoff and his colleagues engaged in a very large study, and they, they also engaged in, they, they enlisted uh, as people involved in this whole investigation, uh, uh, all sorts of different, very notable Bulgarian academicians and historians and artists and architects and so on, um, to develop um, some type of extraterrestrial communication. Well, they'd been doing this for a while, and one of the, one of the uh, ways that they had, they said, they found out that what, what, from some of the more psychically attuned people that the extraterrestrial intelligence said, well, you ask the questions and we'll give you answers in the form of crop circles. Yeah. You, you can go see this on, on their site, www.ourplanet.cc. Okay. So you see some really interesting crop circle responses that came to some of their questions. Through this, 
they they have determined, and which is my perception as well, is that we'll have in 2012 we'll have what I would refer to as a type of telepathic intervention. Hmm. What, what does that mean? What that means is that there will be enough people on the planet attuned to this that uh, there will be a type of collective communication to a large number of people simultaneously uh, with regard to the existence of the extraterrestrial intelligence and they'll be giving instructions about the ways in which they intend to assist us out of our particular moral dilemma. Uh Okay? Um, It's interesting that that in the process of their investigations, Dr. Filipov has a number of criteria for a choice of mediator, human mediator, between the extraterrestrial intelligence and ourselves. And the the requirements for the human mediator are are that the human mediator has to have skills of extra sensitivity to be able to communicate telepathically. The mediator has to be capable of global thinking, has to be able to think globally about the future of our planet and to abandon all personal ambitions, such as career, fame, and money, so that there's no inter- intervening selfish thoughts in the communication process. And thirdly, that the mediator um, is able to perform actions without a personal interest uh, so that they can re- have a mind that's thoroughly, thoroughly focused and be able to pick up the communiques and create the type of intricate geometrical patterns which we see in the crop circles. This, I thought, was a very interesting development. Uh, since that BBC news story came out, Dr. Filipov has come under tremendous fire from the Bulgarian government, and uh, he has had to issue a, somewhat of a disclaimer saying that this was all his personal research. He didn't mean to, to involve the Bulgarian Academy of Sciences, etc. That's kind of a typical type of thing that happens when someone like that comes under, under fire. But he is very insistent that uh, this level of research and information be pursued, that one of the things that the extraterrestrial intelligence is, is always interested in looking at is what the quote-unquote official response is to their communications. Jose, I think part of what I'm curious about is what's the importance and the relationship between awareness of extraterrestrial life, aliens among us, and what's happening in 2012? What's the importance of this connection? Well, I think that's very important because on the one hand, 2012 represents um, a, what I would say a peak, of the, a peak moment of the global crisis that we're involved in. I don't know if you're aware of um, Irvin Laszlo's work and his uh, World Shift 2012 project. Yes, uh, Irvin Laszlo is actually in our book, The Mystery of 2012. He has a, an essay in that, yeah. When we were, we were going to convene the Noah Spear Forum last summer in Bali uh, for due to economic reasons that didn't pull off, but, but Irwin and, and uh, I continued to be in dialogue and communicate, particularly with regard to his World Shift 2012. What he was seeing is that at that point we'd be at a crisis and we needed to muster some type of critical mass to deal with it and to begin to think differently than we're thinking now, uh, for instance, in Copenhagen, <laughs> uh, about, about these matters. Um, so on the one hand, we're going, to be, we're going to be at a peak of major, major crisis. Now, it's clear that the world leadership doesn't have a clue as to how to really deal with it. They would really, they're all just, whatever they come up with, it's just different versions of business as usual. 
and the staving things off and dividing themselves, dividing the rich from the poor, and et cetera, et cetera. It's all just the same shell game that's being played. So all that's doing is, is aggravating the crisis maximally. So we're going to be at a point where, as they say in the trade, we need help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need, we need the affirmation that higher intelligence exists that higher intelligence can communicate with with us and the recognition that those uh, in the human race that are capable of this higher intelligence should be listened to at this time so we can move ahead with with the process of of cosmic spiritual mental evolution that's the to me the significance and the importance of this type of work that's intended to establish two-way communication with extraterrestrial intelligence. That's the first step. The ETs don't want to land on the White House lawn. That's mm-hmm. too uproarious. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a, we're involved in a, a cosmic intelligence operation, and, but they, so they do want to establish uh, intelligent communication with us. I've been doing a lot of work in, in this direction uh, Myself and, and one of the, as I said, one of the projects that we're working with the Noosphere Forum is to establish a larger network of communication with, with all advanced groups of people on this planet who are thinking outside of the box. Uh, and that can be everywhere from, from Irwin Laszlo's World Shift 2012 project to type of work that Dr. Filipov is doing at the um, Bulgarian Academy of Science, uh, or we also have groups we're working with at the Russian Academy of Science in, in Novosibirsk, and, and, and other people who are developing the Noosphere concept, including Dr. Roger Nelson at Princeton University. So all of this is intended to create the type of uh, telepathic receptivity among a critical mass of people who are networked together who are open to this process and possibility so that when we get to that 2012 point that the, the engagement of the extraterrestrial intelligence with, a, with an intelligently put together network of human beings who, 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 who represent a minor but critical mass of intelligence attuned to this so that can actually occur so that we can begin to manifest and demonstrate the types of solutions that we need to overcome the crisis that we're in. What is your own experience of receiving telepathic communications from higher beings, extraterrestrial beings? Well, I've had um, some experience with that, let's say, uh, and, and, and particularly in the last... Um, Three years. I mean, I've, I've on and off through the years. Like even like back when I was talking to you about the Galactic Federation, I had some communications of telepathic nature that had come to me. Some some of this was foc- focalized around the the um, uh, Mayan uh, agent Pakal Votan, whose who, whose tomb was uh, discovered in Palenque in 1952, and which is now well known type of of uh, discovery as far as the Mayan archaeology goes. It was through studying his tomb and coming into contact with, with, with him when I realized that he was actually a very, very higher, superior intelligence. His tomb, the dates of his 
tomb confirmed the 1260 and the 1320 that I talked about. It was dedicated in 692 and miraculously discovered in 1952. That was exactly 1260 years. And from the time the tomb was dedicated in 692 to, to 2012, it was 1,320 years. Mm-hmm. So I saw that, that the very facts about that, the dedication of the tomb and the timing of its discovery and the, and the timing of 2012 confirmed what I was beginning to discover with 1260 and the 1320 and then became more and more to realize that I was somehow rather being guided by Pakal Bhutan and or by other what I refer to as galactic Mayans. Now, more in more recent years, and this all this also directed me to understand that yes, there is a higher existing uh, intelligence in the universe, and that this intelligence actually would like to help. Uh, but the, the in respect of of the laws of intelligence, the, if I could say it that way, they want us to use our intelligence to get there before they'll come in and do something. Mm-hmm. Kind of a bodhisattvic. Uh, approach that you don't you don't impose on on the other being, but somehow to help guide or direct that being to real to use their own intelligence to realize what has to, to be done and to how to go about communicating with the higher intelligence. In recent years, the I, I began to receive some information which is almost all strictly of a mathematical nature, which I then began to understand as being a type of, of uh, coded mathematical language underlying a matrix of universal telepathic communication that is used by the cosmic civilizations throughout the universe. Uh, I'm very, very immersed in this particular uh, process of decoding the, this mathematical structure, which is uh, in some ways a simple structure based on a, a 21 squared matrix, 441 is 21 squared, uh, uh, but th- that involves a lot of other uh, synchronization with the uh, mathematical codes of the synchronic order and so on. Uh, but the point is that the, the telepathic language has an underlying mathematical structure, and by decoding the mathematical structure and understanding its patterns, that we can enter into communication with higher intelligence. So it's almost like you're receiving Morse code messages, but they're mathematical messages. Yes, exactly. And then I'm given different ways. I put them every day. I put them into the synchronic order, and then I begin to see patterns and then uh, and very immediate types of synchronicities, which then create, create kind of luminous ahas in certain of my synapses, and I, I, I get a, what the message unit is saying. Very good. Interesting decoder that you are. Well, it's a process, but I'll tell you something. Um, if the, really the, 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 the foundation to be able to, to function like this is the, as far as the mental clarity goes, is the Buddhist meditation training. I haven't had that, and I, so I saw how I was directed back in the 1960s to look for a Tibetan guru and all this kind of thing. And, but if I, if I hadn't had that training and that discipline, of you know the the shamatha vipassana, uh, which I refer to now as natural mind meditation, that that we, you have to have that absolutely clear mind, just like this Dr. Filipov says. You have to you can't have any kind of personal um, whim or whatever trying to slant you or bias you to to any a, a type of interpretation. You have to really see see clearly, 
And so I emphasize very much the importance of uh, practicing this type of meditation for anyone who wants to get into any of this kind of kind of approach to it, because you, that's that's the clear mind that's that's really required to be able to perceive telepathically to receive information or or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Now. A couple other things I wanted to talk to you about, Jose. One is that the other thing I remember from 1987 that stuck with me was the idea of galactic alignment, that in 2012 in the atmosphere, that the position of the Earth that will somehow be aligned with a galactic core. you still see it that way? Can you help me understand it? I, I think so. I think John Major Jenkins has done a lot to 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 shed light on that of of, of the alignment of the Earth and the Sun uh, with the uh, with the galactic core that it would be occurring on on December twenty first, twenty twelve. So, yeah, I I, I believe uh, and what I see is like as we approach that point, that the process of the, the of nature that's almost like a natural force that's going to be impacting more and more on the human and the terrestrial environment so that I see as we get closer and closer to the, the December 21st, 2012, everything becoming more and more silent. It'd be an understanding like, oh, it's like, it's like we're, oh, we're coming down to this zero point. And that will everyone be quite transfixed at that point. Everyone, there'll be just a natural tendency. Hey, let's, let's don't do anything right now. Just, mm-hmm. just tune in. And I think that that's what will create this noospheric flip, okay? Because right now humanity is at a bifurcation point. You know, either either we're going to make it or we're not. We're either going to destroy the biosphere and ourselves along with it or we're not. If we're not, what does that not mean? That not means that going in, in another direction, going in a direction of super mental, super conscious development. That's, that's the bifurcation we're going to go go along with more technology, more money, more war, more terror, or we're going to go in the direction of, of the, the supermental development. I think that by 2012, it'll become clear, oh, this actually is a choice. And we'll be coming to that point, we'll get to this zero on December 21st, 2012. And uh, in that zero, the, the attunement of consciousness to that will be what flips us into the noosphere. Then we'll then then there'll be a, suddenly it'll be like oh there's a, a shift in consciousness. It'll be suddenly like we'll be saying wow I'm I'm, I'm in telepathic communication with with gee with a lot of people right now. Uh, and then we'll go we'll start to move forward from that and uh, assuming also that we have this type of what I refer to as telepathic intervention with the. Uh, uh, higher extraterrestrial intelligence and that uh, at that point also I, what I spoke about with you back then that we will that will be the moment when we pass out of this beam this galactic synchronization beam that we have been in for 5,125 years we'll pass out of that and then we'll we'll enter a phase where we have a rapid restructuring of our thought processes of our mental processes leading up to another moment in 2013 July 26, 2013 when we, that's when we'll have then a full galactic synchronization occurring where the where we'll caught up with what this thing is about and then we'll have um, a, a type of uh, a, mo- a moment where the, the where the new evolution
stationary state actually then just commences full on. Well, Jose, I'm so appreciative that I've had this chance to talk to you after so many years, and, and I'm curious, I know we're, we're speaking, you're in Australia now. Yes. Why, why are you living in Australia at this point? Well, I, I come here to do uh, retreats every so often, and uh, it's, it's remote, it's very far out of the way, and that's what's necessary to do a lot of the type of work that I do, which is, as I said, more um, telepathic explorations on the fringes of consciousness and without without too much interference from anyone or anything else. So it's a good way to do that. Also, we, well, I found a place to retreat, which is uh, pretty much in alignment with the uh, south magnetic pole. And so we're able to, to uh, uh, put ourselves better resonance that way. And finally, because I don't know when I'll get the chance to talk to you again, I just want to give you the opportunity, if there's anything else you want to say to the Sounds True listeners, about how to positively create a shift in 2012, if there's anything else you'd like to say. Yeah, we've covered a lot of territory, and I've given a lot of information, but I would just like to repeat that there's several things. One, as I said, the natural mind meditation, clear your mind because like when things start to really get get more chaotic, let's say, out there, that it's, it's, you're really going to need a clear mind. Uh, two, that clear mind is going to help you uh, maintain some type of telepathic resonance. Three, um, you can change your frequency by uh, changing, changing over and beginning to follow the other calendar as well, as I, as I described. You can, you can get a free pocket calendar, 13-moon calendar at www lawoftime.org, um, okay? Um, and we can do it. We can, we can manifest that the human mind is capable of way more than we have imagined. That will help us go into the new, into the noosphere, which is going to be a stage of much more spiritualized consciousness. And be, be positive. Grow, grow a garden. <laughs> Become self-sustaining. Wonderful. Thank you, Jose. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Well, hey, it's been a tremendous pleasure, Tammy. And I hope that you continue to uh, experiment and enjoy life and try that calendar. I will. I will, actually. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, Tammy. Bye-bye. And you've been listening to Insights at the Edge from SoundsTrue.com. Sounds True has published an anthology called The Mystery of 2012, and it includes different essays from different perspectives about the 2012 phenomenon, and Jose Arguelles has an essay in that book, The Mystery of 2012, available through Sounds True. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. <laughs>